Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about 1930s America. When people think of the 1930s, images usually arise of unemployment and bread lines, hobos bumming cigarettes and train rides, and the Dust Bowl. It was also the age when the secular mass media began to dominate American life. As strapped for cash as they were, by the end of the decade, some 80% of Americans owned radios, and 75 million went to the movies weekly. Radio, movies, and newspapers both reflected and helped shape the culture of that time, supplanting the church as the keeper of the keys to the American way of life. What Americans listened to and watched were aimed for the lowest common denominator in terms of intellectual content, good taste, and morals, and their influence was enormous. Inevitably, historian John Garrity says, the mores and vocabulary of the movies were imitated by those to whom they represented the fulfillment of every ambition They set the popular fashion in dress, home furnishings, play, morals, even in marriage and family life, and increasingly, human nature came to conform to commercial art. During the Depression, movies and radio programs also served as therapy, whereas in other times, people had turned to the church, the Bible, and fellow believers for comfort and strength. Never before, however, had a constant source of mass entertainment been available to them, and now it served both to soothe and distract. Hollywood gave an occasional nod to religious subjects, turning out films like The Crusades, The Sign of the Cross, and Dante's Inferno but producers paid far more attention to monsters, musicals, and screwball comedies, often pushing the envelope of established morals and good taste. Mostly, says Sidney Alstrom, the Hollywood star system mocked the older moral standards, both Catholic and Protestant. Prior to the 1930s, in cases where death was a public matter, it was handled from a Christian faith perspective. There were usually comments about the deceased person's faithfulness to God and the heavenly reward that awaited him or her. There often was an admonition to emulate the person of faith or to seek comfort in God alone. A brief look at how the media handled death-related stories in the 30s, however, demonstrates how the times had changed. When Texas lawmen gunned down the notorious outlaws Bonnie and Clyde in May of 1934, the news focused on the pair's killing sprees and how they got what they deserved, not what they were going to get in the afterlife. Stories about the kidnapping and murder of Charles and Anne Morrow Lindbergh's baby in 1932 focused on the odious nature of the crime and the public's outrage. Similarly, when the German airship Hindenburg 
burst into flames while landing at Lakehurst, New Jersey in 1937, there wasn't an attempt to urge the public to always be ready to meet their maker. Rather, an emphasis on the actual disaster, apart from any meaning for the living or the dead. Just as theology had once been the queen of the sciences, the eminence of religion in America had waned significantly by the 1930s. In 1933, William Kelly Wright of Dartmouth College observed, Today we are passing through a period of religious depression not less severe than the moral and economic depression. Ministers in the traditionally mainline churches especially suffered from low morale as they saw their Protestant culture disintegrate under their eyes. Intellectuals in the 30s had strong inclinations toward communism with its atheistic philosophy. Editors and lawyers like H.L. Mencken and Clarence Darrow, Martin Marty says, were joined by a generation of novelists like Sinclair Lewis and Ernest Hemingway who saw no positive place for the churches. The academic intellectual style wavered between their agnosticism on one hand and satiric or vitriolic rejection on the other. The churches that had once championed historic Orthodox Christianity had marginalized themselves by trying to accommodate modernism and liberalism. On the defensive, no longer sure of their core beliefs, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, mainline churches began a long, slow fade from national influence that continues to this day. There was among its leaders and members a creeping universalism and a belief that maybe other religions also offered ways to God. Suddenly, doing missions work to save the souls of people who did not know Jesus didn't seem as urgent as it once did. Surely God wouldn't consign someone to hell just because he had never heard of Christ. In that hostile environment, a new theology emerged known as Neo-Orthodoxy, in which thinkers like Reinhold and Richard Niebuhr, Paul Tillich and Karl Barth rethought classical Christian teachings and the scriptures within the context of the modern world. In The Church Against the World, H. Richard Niebuhr called for Christians to return to the Bible and he tried to reconcile certain troublesome doctrines of the ancient church with modern times, including those about hell. Preaching about hell is always resented by men of so-called liberal mind, he wrote. How could the infliction of torment be rhymed with the rule of a merciful God? What human wickedness deserves such a consequence? His brother Reinhold said, that in our infinite humans cannot describe the furniture of heaven and the temperature of hell, or be too certain about any details of the kingdom of God in which history is consummated. Karl Barth suggested that in former days, Christians thought not many people would get to heaven, 
but now he wondered why couldn't it actually be the other way around. In the 1930s, denominations that equivocated about heaven and especially hell lost members, influence, and money, but churches that championed historic Orthodox Christianity, in other words, the beliefs that had dominated American life and thought until after the Civil War, thrived. Now labeled fundamentalist, they experienced significant increases in attendance during the Depression era. Even during the financial challenges of the Depression, 26 new fundamentalist schools were established, including Dallas Theological Seminary and Bob Jones University. Wheaton College in Illinois was the fastest growing of all liberal arts schools in America during much of the decade. In addition, evangelical publications increased in circulation, their mission agencies grew, and summer Bible conferences flourished. By the end of the 1930s, conservative Christian churches increased in membership, while the mainline denominations struggled. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney. Thank you.